so from 1976 to 2016, there was a decrease in the profitability of agriculture that was exceptionally large. So in 1976, for every dollar you put into agriculture, you would get about a dollar 35 back. 35% margin. margin. We yep. can all live on that, right? Well, that same number in 2016 was $1.14. People talk about farmers being disappointed, negative, people in production agriculture being disagreeable or upset about regulations. They've had 40 plus years of watching their livelihood get totally degraded. Welcome back to the show. I'm Travis Chappell, and I believe that if you can connect with the best, you can become the best. So after creating 800 podcast episodes about building your network, I've come to realize that networking is really just making friends. If you're doing it the right way anyway. Join me as I make friends with world-class athletes like Shaquille O'Neal, entertainers like Rob Deerdeck, authors like Dr. Nicole LaPera, former presidents like Vicente Fox, or even the occasional FBI hostage negotiator, billionaire real estate mogul, or polarizing political figure. So if you want to make more friends that help you become a better version of yourself, then subscribe to the show and keep on listening because this is Travis Makes Friends. What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of Travis Makes Friends podcast. Today, I'm making friends with Jeff and Kara, all the way from Colorado Craft Beef in Colorado. Welcome to the show, guys. Thanks for having us, man. Yeah, of course. Of course. Mainly just wanted to bring you on because you sent me a free box of beef, and that is the key to my heart. So thank you for that. The, yeah, the first book we're going to write is called Beef is a Currency. Oh, yeah. When you start sending steak, people respond. Oh, totally. For the most part. It's definitely different than getting like a box of chocolates or something. Not to say that I don't love chocolates, but beef is like, yeah. oh, I got I got some real some real stuff here. Yeah. How'd you like your beef? Out. You know what? I was saving it for today. Okay. And I had this plan that I kind of alluded to before this, that I was going to have my wife cook up one of the big cuts of it for this interview and we could be sitting here eating it right now. But then I forgot all about that mm -hmm. this morning. So I still have not had any of it. No worries with you. I have a bunch of friends coming to town. There you go. I don't want to get rid of all of our good beef because I'm assuming it's really good. So we like to think so. Yeah. Uh, I'll, I'll record a, a second part to this after I have it and tell everybody my honest reviews. But yeah, I, I don't mess around with that stuff. So yeah. Actually, we have some friends that buy a half a beef from another ranch and a half a beef from us. Yeah. And the half a beef from us is what they feed themselves. And the <laughs> half a beef from the other people is like chili, all the other stuff. So they're yeah. just like, you know, they have their private reserve stash in a different freezer that sure. nobody knows. Like this is our pure beef. Yeah. That's for us. Yeah. yeah. This beef came from Texas. The Colorado beef, though, we're going to we're going <laughs> to keep that over there. So you got to be uh, strategic with your inventory. Right. Yeah. Oh, yeah, for sure. So, so let's, let's go back in time a little bit because I was reading through both of your guys' bios and come to find out, Kara, you've been, kind of been in this business for six generations. Did I read that right? Five generations. Five. Five I generations. The fifth generation on the family ranch and our little girls will be the sixth. Yeah, the early 19, my family homesteaded in Northeast Colorado. Wow. So your family homesteaded in Colorado. Yes. yes. Early 1900s. Yeah, in the Enlarge Homestead Act, my family came out. And actually, our place where it sits today is a half a mile from the original homestead. Oh, wow. Yeah. When we first came out and decided the grass was belly deep and went up to the bottom side of my great-great-great-grandfather's horse, he decided he was going to stop there and be a good place to raise cattle. So wild. So how much land do you guys have out there now on the ranch? So our, our home place is around 6,000 acres. You know, we're, we're just a small piece of that as far as what we do with Colorado Craft Beef. My dad still runs the commercial operation and has since... 76. And then recently came out with this direct-to-consumer yes. product line. What made you do that? Really, it was the way to take the ranch into the next generation. We've changed so much. The consuming public in general has changed quite a bit. We've gotten further removed from where our food comes from. So the, the thought process of going direct to somebody who's eating our product and it came out of out of that. It came out of some other conversations too, you know, with my dad of what does the ranch look like for for us, but then also for our kids. Yeah, and and that's we're like, you know, we we have a different skill set. We can do it a little bit different way, and and that's part of where craft beef came from. So. Do you guys get a lot of shit from people these days for being in that business? Because I know that there's a lot of you know negative propaganda around cattle farming and you know veganism and climate and all this stuff. And you guys have been doing this for generations and generations. And so, you know, I can only assume that you get a little bit of that, a little bit of that uh, shrapnel from those wars. Yeah. I mean, you certainly catch some of that. Yeah. 
but a lot of it's opinion based mm-hmm. and a lot of it's emotion, not a lot of it's in fact. Almost none of it's in fact. <laughs> exactly. So what's interesting is for the most part, we don't run into them on social media. Hmm. They clearly don't come to where we live because it's you got to be very All direct ranches. in where you want to go. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You're not going to happen upon <laughs> no. it. Yeah, no, it doesn't so. just nat- you don't just naturally. <laughs> like, we're looking for the Broncos driveway. game, and somehow, <laughs> right? Yeah. Lost. <laughs> yeah, but but in general, where we see the most people in our space get attacked is the ones that are playing games with labels, or being not as transparent as they should be. And it gives somebody an opening to start really tearing into them. Yeah. And we just don't play like that. You know, the phone number on the top of the website rings through to a phone that we carry. Okay. The transparency is undisputable, really. Yeah. And when people want to know something, we tell them. And we we hold to authenticity above all else. So tell me how you got involved in the business. Well, you marry the rancher's daughter, clearly. (laughs) (laughs) Tell me how you got involved with the rancher's daughter. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, through some mutual friends. I, I'm from Oregon. She was living in Idaho. Whereabouts in Oregon? Pendleton. So Pendleton Whiskey, Pendleton one. Wool. Where's that? In Oregon? Northeast Corner. Okay. Big rodeo town. Okay. Gotcha. So I went to school at Colorado State, got a degree in agricultural business, minors in finance and accounting. So you had an interest? I was, all, I was always in ag, okay. not to the level that Kara was, for okay. sure. I worked for a lot of other people. My parents were, mom owned a small real estate company and dad worked for the government. Okay. So... Nothing too crazy, but I always raked hay and worked on farms and helped people with cows. But gotcha, okay. you know, nothing crazy. Yeah, um, nothing as complex as what Kara's family runs. Yeah, yeah. But you know, I passed muster because when I came to the ranch, I knew how to fix barbed wire fence. Mm. I knew how to ride a horse. So, gotcha. Uh, yeah, you got. And all I the didn't. Checks. And I didn't order chicken when we went to dinner. So <laughs> after that, everything was smooth sailing. Actually, the yeah. The, you, probably appreciate this the story of our first date yeah yeah, yeah you, you probably appreciate this so jeff was living in idaho or i was living in idaho he was living in oregon and he made up a very creative story on the fact that he needed to go to a northern part of idaho that you know, by the way of boise but <laughs> i went like, 200 I didn't miles know he, out of the way <laughs> he owned a map or not but i was like okay so oregon, yeah <laughs> boise northern idaho it makes sense to me jeff. yes yeah it was he went by the way of the river i guess but uh and the so he he came to to my place to pick me up for our first date, and he was pulling how, how long was that soccer? Or the it was like a thirty-two foot flatbed. Yeah, I think it was he was pulling a thirty-two foot flatbed. But yeah, I had no lights to the place I was living, and I told him I was like, "Well, if you can back it in over there, obscure place in the middle of nowhere with no lights, then we can go on a date." And sure enough, he nailed it. So hey, we we well went done. on a first date. That's the test. Yeah, that's the test. Yeah, no city slickers allowed. Yeah, that's right. at that point ranch. in my life, I was like, yeah. uh, I don't have time. Yeah, yeah. And that's fair. That's yeah. to Kara's point uh, with the genesis of the beef company. It was where do we make an impact yeah. that aligns with our skill set to provide the most value to the ranch? And you decided against farmers only. I have a I have a face for radio, so it's the best you can Not do. Give right? a bunch of swipes. No, but they lo- didn't see your barbed wire fixing. That's right. You know, luckily I, do- I dodged all of that, man. I was <laughs> right before that. I was so glad. I've watched some of that train wreck. I'm like, I'm so glad I'm not a part of that. <laughs> so where did you guys end up meeting then? At a a mutual friend invited a bunch of us to a big concert, okay. and we all met for dinner. There was like 25 of us. Okay. And she was wearing Cayman boots and starch jeans. I was like, who is that? I need to know who that is. And like three months later, she finally went on a date with me. Three months. All it took was an out of the trip, out of the way trip to Boise. Yeah. No, no. Persistency she, and creativity. Yeah. And I, and I asked her for a number like four times. Then she would just stop talking to me for like three days. Mm. I would wait to traditional 72 hour cooling off period and then restart. Sure. Yeah, yeah. So, but you're used to putting in work, right? So but, you got to put in work. If but you want within the, the beef company. I handle all the sales, so yeah, that certainly helps. Yeah, there you go. There you go. And you said that you came from corporate sales. Uh, we both did, okay. actually. So I had a big background in heavy construction and corporate sales and okay. the finance world. And then Kara's this background. This right after college? Yeah, for the 15 years after college, it okay. was heavy construction, finance, corporate sales. They kind of all rolled into management. Okay. And then Kara's background is exceptionally complementary to mine, for sure. Yeah, I was in animal health. Okay. 10 years. 10 years. Post-college. Post-college. After, yes, after my master's degree. So. Did you always have the intention of being back on the farm? 
I always knew that that would draw me back home. Yeah. But I didn't. I do. I have one older sister. Yes. And then I have step siblings as well. I always knew that that was, that was home and, and I wanted to be there in some capacity, but probably not the traditional capacity. Otherwise, you know, I could have came straight out of high school, frankly, and moved into that. I wanted to, to kind of find my own way to add value to it Yeah, yeah. and live somewhere else, kind of understand the world, understand what we were, what I was able to bring back to the home operation. Which apparently you've done fairly well. In 2016, we moved. Basically, end of 2015, yeah. We moved back to very close to Cleveland. Nice. So tell me about all the hubbub behind Yellowstone. Is this something that you guys caught wind of early on? Like, was this something that just like blew up in the rancher community first? And then it just like took off from there? Like how much of it's accurate? Is it accurately depicted of ranch life? Is it completely inaccurate? Do you like the show? Stuff like that. I think the easy answer is it could be accurate depending on where you are regionally. Okay. Because everybody wants to think ranching or farming or agriculture is the same. Oh, if you raise corn, you raise corn the same in Indiana as you do in Oregon. Mm. It's a different climate. Mm. So how a ranch would operate in western Montana versus how a ranch operates where we're at in Colorado versus a ranch in Texas is all exceptionally different. Mm. So that's the ag spin from the uh, traditional rancher spin, though. I'd be curious to hear Kara's answer. Yellowstone definitely has brought back a lot of visibility to mm. what we do. Sure. That hasn't been there, especially in you know, the mainstream Let's call for it for sure. This it's just been lost for yeah. quite a while. Yeah, probably what tombstone, say, but I mean I was that's say not I even lost, but ostracized. Yeah, really. right yeah. for sure. And so it's brought some of that romance, that visibility, that yeah. whatever other adjective you want to use. But it's kind of brought that back into mainstream media, which sure I, I think has been wonderful. Some of the depictions, you know, we could probably have some banter. Maybe that. dramatized. Maybe a bit. you know, yeah. for makes for good TV, but yeah. may not be. A, there's probably 100%. a little bit less murder on most ranches. <laughs> Typically. Yeah. <laughs> Typically, yes. I don't know. The yeah, first... we, don't, we don't have train stations. I don't, know. I don't know. The first time I met Kira's dad, we did have Rocky Mountain Oysters for dinner, and I thought that was a message. <laughs> Just subtle. Yeah, yeah. It could have been, to be fair. Yeah. Oh, man. That, that was the biggest thing about that show, man. It's just like. I was like, man, this is the unluckiest group of ranchers in the entire world. Like, how is this? There are this many things that befall this family. It's yeah. so it's so hard to even follow uh, towards the end of it. I don't know. Did, did you guys like the show in general? Like fans of it? In general, I enjoyed it. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I thought and, they depicted the story well. Yeah. I think some of the accuracy of when they start talking about cattle and how they're going to do things is not quite what it They could use a really few more is. consultants on the set. They yeah. should have them based on the stable of people they have involved. Yes, sure. But some of it, I think, is a talking point, not necessarily reflective, but yeah. it's such a small part of the story. Sure. sure, um, sure. Yeah, yeah. So it's fair. But I think by and large, what Yellowstone, Teton Ridge and that whole business conglomerate has done for especially ranching and beef mm-hmm. has been overwhelmingly positive in yeah. connecting people back to that. You know, what's interesting is that it was one of those shows that I was surprised that took off and not because of any of the reasons we already talked about, but just because like the distribution was so far off of the beaten path. Like it's not a Netflix show. Hmm. It wasn't a HBO. It wasn't on regular television. It's like, well, I mean, I think it is on regular television, but you got, you have to like, like it was a nightmare for us to try to find out how to watch the show. But so many people told us to watch it. We we're like, okay, well, we got to watch it. So we got to like go to Google to figure out where we watch this thing. You know, it's like, oh, I got to get a subscription to Paramount Plus to go. Like the amount of work that went into watching the show comparatively to like all the other shows that have taken off mm-hmm. was it a really, there's a high barrier to entry. But I think that's like really easy to explain that because they didn't think it was going to do well. Right. So like they shopped around probably to a bunch of different streaming services. The only one they could find was this other deal. And then it blew up anyway because there's so many people that resonate with the story and there's so many people that still care about that world. Like when you said it was kind of forgotten for a long time and ostracized and kind of almost like put down as the redheaded stepchild of like, we're not allowed to promote anything good about this because we want to make sure everybody thinks it's bad. Yeah. You know, because that supports the narrative. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. And that's where a lot of people really get disconnected from where things come from. You know, the typical modicum in society is where does your food come from? Mm -hmm. Man, we're all wearing cotton. Is that cotton from Texas? Is it cotton from California? Is it cotton from Turkey? Turkey does a lot of cotton. 
So when you start talking about the supply chains and some of that, people getting connected to the resources they use in their daily life, you know, whether it's a microphone or, you know, where do the glasses come from? Mm -hmm. It's so people are so disconnected from all of that. It's Mm -hmm. just magic. But then if you take the ranching side of Yellowstone, you're horseback, you're in the mountains. It is, it is epically beautiful on that show. Mm. And I will say their shooting on that show is top notch. Mm. Oh yeah. How much more romantic do you get? I mean, how how many guys are like, hell yeah, I could do that. That'd be a good summer. And how many girls look at Rip on Yellowstone? They're like, look at that guy. Yeah, I could do that for a summer. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) So, So it's interesting when you start spinning that around in a way that people are so disconnected from something. Yeah. And that something becomes so romanticized. And it's also so historical. So mm-hmm. then you have the Yellowstone spinoffs of 1888, 1923, mm-hmm. after World War One, at the end of some of the Native American wars. Like, it's so resonant. And it's yeah. such a big part of our history as a nation. Right. Man. Yeah, that heritage is deep. And it, it, it spiked tourism yeah. all over Montana and mm-hmm. migration even. To sure. Montana, like at the time that it blew up, it was in the middle of all COVID and everything like that, you sure. know, and people in the coasts were looking places to move. Like I, I had some friends in, in Montana that were just like, man, this place is like doubled in size. Yeah. Just with the people, the sheer volume of people, the real estate's insanely inflated because everybody's moving to Montana or getting a second or third home in Montana anyway, at mm. least, you know, but I think the, you know, the show obviously had a major impact on that. Yeah, the irony is the first season of that show was shot in Utah. It was oh, not was shot it? in Montana. I didn't know that. Wow. <laughs> didn't know that. Well, um, it all, I mean, the West kind of looks like the West. It just sure. depends on which valley you go to. I was say, well, like, because you guys are, you said, northwestern? Or Northeast North, uh, Colorado. Colorado? Yeah. Um, so we're in the Sandhills. It's very grassy, okay. rolling plains. Imagine Buffalo running across the prairie. That's okay. where we live. Okay. It's pretty cool when you look out your window and you're like, you know, other than a couple fences. This thing hasn't changed in thousands of years. Yeah. That's not what I see when I look out my window. Yeah. <laughs> I see a construction project here and yeah. another construction project here. Yeah. I remember looking at Kara's dad one day. We were out riding pastures and I looked at him. I go, hey, man. He's like, yeah. It's like, your office is pretty sweet. <laughs> you know, you can see for 30 miles. The only yeah. thing you can see is your cows. Your phone doesn't work. It's perfect. <laughs> How much is your uh, your dad doing in the business now? Is he still kind of running everything and kind of large yes. and in charge? And oh man, that that man, he's he's pretty incredible. Yeah. He's buttoned up on seventy, and he's still <laughs> he's Kevin Costner. Oh man, yeah. he that, basically he's the yes, guy, yeah. yeah, he still buys all the cattle, he runs all the cattle, he does you know, all of all of the things. I mean, he's in better shape than a lot of twenty year olds I know. That yeah, makes a lot of sense. Yeah, when you've been doing that work since he was. 12 probably yeah you know <laughs> yeah yeah and, and he runs the commercial ranch colorado craft beef is a kara and i's company okay as our way to pay pay homage to previous generations and start yeah. to set the ranch up for another direction so so essentially you guys are your own entity but you just source all of your beef from the ranch so we that? actually source our own cattle Oh, really? Yeah, we we bring cattle in we work with some strategic partners okay we have done some work with kara's dad so it's it's a way to try to expand some of the economics of direct-to-consumer to more of the region. So okay. the biggest issue you run into in agriculture, I'm a numbers dork, just to put that out there. Yeah, I can. I don't rope, care of ropes. I <laughs> yeah. can wrestle cattle all day long, and I will make you a mean spreadsheet or cook you dinner. I'm pretty yeah, good at that, makes too. Makes a mean steak. Freaking yeah. the sheets, baby. Freaking the sheets. That's right. Yeah. Actually, Kara bought me a deal that sits on my desk that says, don't worry, I have a spreadsheet for that. <laughs> and that couldn't be more true. But if we look at the economics of agriculture, so from 1976 to 2016, there was a decrease in the profitability of agriculture that was exceptionally large. So in 1976, you could do, uh, for every dollar you put into agriculture, you would get about $1.35 back. 35% margin. margin. We yep. can all live on that, right? I mean, then let's be fair. We all have to pay the light bill. Well, that same number in 2016 was $1.14. So when people talk about farmers being disappointed, farmers being negative, people in production agriculture being disagreeable or upset about regulations, and let's understand that they've had 40 plus years of watching their livelihood get totally degraded. Right. right. 
And when we think about that within the Colorado craft beef model, we're selling beef for more or less what you pay at a good butcher shop. Mm-hmm. Only we aren't trading three layers of margin to get there. Yeah. We own our own direct You're supply chain. Cutting out all of the middlemen who take a piece every time a transaction happens. And we don't have them over our head with all the leverage. Sure. Yeah. Because yeah. they don't have to take your cattle. Mm-hmm. And if you are in a commodity business of selling fat cattle to a large processor, yeah, there's only so much you can do. Or if you are a t-shirt manufacturer in the U.S. and you need to buy t-shirts from China, mm-hmm. there's only so much you can do. Right. So you have to secure the supply chain. Yeah. And own each part of the process, yeah. essentially. Yeah. And that's and that's what we started with in 2017. And just this year, we got done doing it. Yeah. Wow. That's a long time. Uh, well, it's it's a way shorter road than a lot of our people that do it with us. Really? And it's an impossible road for another sector of agriculture that can't get it done. So we've been exceptionally fortunate because we found like-minded people. Yeah, that's awesome. And now you guys have built a good partnership with several of these kind of influencer types that are eager to kind of dip their toe in the water in this world, right? You know, one of the, one of our main partners, his name is Jocko Willink. Who's that? Right. <laughs> Actually, a few people I've met are like, who's that? And yeah. they're serious. I'm like, huh, yeah. weird. Yeah. yeah. Didn't go um, like that. You don't have a phone, do you? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, so Jocko, I mean, the easy way to describe it is the founders of Origin USA. Shout out to Origin. I'm wearing one of their shirts today. Jocko Fuel mm-hmm. and a bunch of their like-minded, mainly veteran crew mm-hmm. have invested with Colorado Craft Beef. It's not a bad partnership to have. How did you start the conversations? Like, how did you get your foot in the door? By making yeah, friends, dude. Perfect. <laughs> Let's talk about it. <laughs> yeah. Luckily, I came from a sales mindset. Okay. And, uh, you know, before I met Kara, I got told no a lot of times. Mm-hmm. What's the worst thing that's going to happen? What is the worst thing that's going to happen? And uh, we started talking some strategic partnerships. Luckily, we knew a couple of the same people, and it was very arm's length. And over, well, how, how did you meet? Just through some mutual friends, you know, made made some connections and got the intro call. Okay. Got the intro call invitation for 15 minutes. Was there an agenda on the intro call? There was. Okay. We were looking to do, so part of the strategic move we made with these gentlemen who we couldn't be prouder to be partners with, of course. quite frankly. It's a great brand to be, to be associated with, especially for your target market. Man, it's not even that. It's the, it's the understanding what they want. Hmm. You know, if we talk about the heritage of ranching, mm-hmm. what's more American than that? Yeah. I have a ton of military friends and watching them, them salute the flag mm-hmm. is more American than what we do. And I can't think of something that's a close third. Hmm. You know, how was the West settled? Yeah, right. How was how how were we able to settle the West? It was because of people in the military. It was because of putting America first. And that's what Origin does. Mm. You know, this t-shirt that I'm wearing today, they have looms in Maine and they make their own t-shirt material. Mm. They source the yarn from Texas. Wow. It's all America all the way through. And the original conversation we had was, "Hey, we're going to we're going to invest in this harvest facility." Because one of the biggest bottlenecks we've had with growing Colorado craft beef was you're speaking for harvest slots for cattle two years out. Can you, explain what you, can you explain what you mean by that? So a harvest slot to make it as soft as possible is when we take a live calf, live steer from our feed yard mm-hmm. to a building and they come out the other side of the building in a box mm-hmm. ready to go to consumer. Yeah. So as a processing facility, they harvest the animal, they convert them to steaks. We have a 21-day dry aging process on all carcasses. And the biggest bottleneck we've had to growth is not sales. It was, we can't forecast two years out when you're growing at nearly triple digits every year. Then you start to get to a capital question. And, yeah. And now you get to the now point- now you can't provide the supply for all the demand that you're out generating. Yeah. So then you have to throttle marketing down, which sure. has a negative tail that trails you for another four months. Mm-hmm. So it's this constant hiccup yeah. of riding a bucking horse without a rope. Like mm-hmm. you're just hoping for the best. Yeah. And so about two years ago, we secured the contract to procure the harvest facility. And then we went out looking for the investors to get it done. And we originally had some just typical money guys that would, sure. that would throw in, but man, what value are they going to provide? They're going to ask about their return mm-hmm. and they will likely answer the phone. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but beyond that, what are they going to do? And 
we have some additional processing space. And it's like, man, it'd be really cool to talk to somebody that could maybe partner with us and help us do some of this. And yeah. then I was like, well, why not find some guys that are doing well in business that want to help us yeah. in moving product? And then people with distribution, not even distribution, people with a reach. We can do all the distribution. Yeah. Well, that's what I meant. That's yeah. what I meant. Yeah. Like, the direct. Like, yeah. Yeah. And then we got to talking and one thing led to another. And next thing we knew, we're on the phone with people that I'm like, hey, Kara, we have a call with so-and-so. And she's like, what? <laughs> How? And I was like, well, I just go around making friends. <laughs> so actually last, how that works. Yeah, last week we were up in Maine at the Origin Immersion Camp. Nice. Hung out with Jocko and all the guys. Yeah. And Kara texted one of our good friends and she said, I don't know how we got here. Yeah. And what did, what did Catherine say? Something about Jeff making friends, but she didn't say it nearly PC. No. <laughs> I think she accused me of having a big mouth. I will call it making friends. <laughs> it's both. It can be both. Yeah. yeah. But when you get those guys that are America first. Yeah. That's what we are. Well, you touched on something huge. If you're in the business world and you know business people. And you know, money is easy, yeah. like the money part, like getting capital, securing investors, raising money, all that stuff is relatively simple. Mm -hmm. But when you can find somebody who not only is willing to give you money, but also shares like similar values, they care about the thing that you're talking about. They actually like give a shit about the product or the mission or the vision, or like they have an active like role in, in seeing you be successful. Mm -hmm. The Delta between this type of money and this type of money is huge, you know, and people don't give enough thought to that. They just want to go get money. It's like, well, you can get some money all day, but is it dumb money or is it smart money or is it, mm. is it neutral? Because there's all three, you know what I mean? It's 100%. like every time you want to go for the people that are going to give you smart money, the people who can actually help from a strategic, you know, standpoint. And you guys, you guys nailed it. Like to think so. Yeah. <laughs> no, yeah. we've, we've been super fortunate in what's been fun to watch is money aside, business aside, you know, you meet your investors' families. It's not a guy with a checkbook with an email sure, address. Sure, It's, you know, you're on a conference call. It's late at night. Hey, man, I'm going to go put my kid to bed. Can I come back in 10 minutes? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. That's what this is all about. Yeah. That's what the beef company is about. It's not about the money. It's not about any of that. Yeah. It's about sharing with people what we're all doing together, mm -hmm. you know, coming on a podcast to discuss, you know, why did you do it? You know, yeah. you're, you're networking and, you know, hearing your intro, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. networking, it's, it's actually just making friends. Yeah. That that's, there's nothing truer has ever been said. Yeah. Well, now how about making some friends over a steak on the same table? Right. Man. <laughs> Well, do we know a distillery guy? <laughs> all of a sudden, all of a sudden, man, we got a party yeah, exactly. and everybody's rowing the boat the same direction. Right. Yeah. That's so, so massively valuable for mm -hmm. all parties that are involved. You know, it's that kind of rising tide raises all ships type of a thing. Yeah. Instead of being cutthroat against everybody and all that stuff, you know. Well, and that's the interesting part within ag or, you know, probably not the podcasting space too much, but business in general, everybody thinks that if. I sell one more thing. I took that from you. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, totally. Right. And that famine mindset is just garbage. Oh, it's it's like a, it's a cesspool yeah. of disease. You know, it's just like ugh, getting around those types of people is just exhausting. Yeah. You know, and then you can never trust them because you never know if they're actually bringing you a real deal to the table or if they're just trying to like get one over on you so that they can mm -hmm. put a tally, you know, put a put an extra point in their tally on the W. You know, it's just like whoa. What are we doing here, man? Man, if you can't look in the mirror at the end of the day, you got way bigger problems. Right. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Kara, how have you been with like growing up as a rancher and being on that side of the business and now kind of starting a brand new venture using all the knowledge and everything you've taken from school, your experience in corporate, all the work that you put in, you know, post ranch and now working on this new project with your husband and then like really pushing it forward, seeing some, some success with it. What are kind of some of the differences for you between like that type of work and this type of work? I've always been a why person. So okay. my why has always driven me pretty hard. And what's um, that? I love the life. I want, I want to impart a difference, like whatever that may be. Like, gosh, that was even my college entrance essay was making a difference in ranching industry, I guess. Mm -hmm. let, let's call it that. And then that just got bigger 
the more I saw how we functioned at home, but then how other producers function because I, I worked with so many every day. There are wonderful people and do wonderful things, but there was a disconnect between what we were doing on the ranch versus a consumer. Like it was just so very, it was just like so vast. Yeah. The, yeah. The difference. Big gap. It was a huge, huge gap. Mm-hmm. And even there was a gap on the ranching side, frankly, with all the segments. Then we get to a consumer and I finally talking to Jeff on the way here. I'm like, I think I've distilled it into like, a simple story of anytime I talk to a rancher, I ask them what they produce. Hmm. And a lot of them, they're like, well, I raise a 600 pound calf in the fall. I sell in the second week of October every year. And, and I had to just look at them and be like, we produce beef. That that's what we're producing. Yeah. You know, and we're, yeah. we're taking, we're producing cattle. We're producing essentially widgets of beef. However, we want to distill that. And if we don't have a consumer on the other side of that, that, appreciates and embraces that and loves it and has a great eating experience with a steak, what are we here for? Mm. You know, we just, yeah. we don't have, we don't really have a why if we don't have a market of a consumer that loves that steak and yeah. connects with that story. And, you know, I have some other philosophical things of like, I mean, even Yellowstone's done some great things for our industry to kind of tie that back together. But yeah. Yeah. I'd love to, to be that yeah. piece that kind of helps make that more cohesive you know, sure, to where yeah. we can. Which is exactly what direct to consumer exactly. really does. Right. Mm-hmm. It gives people the ability to choose where their beef actually comes from. Yeah. Cause like before you just, nobody thought about it. You just go to the, you go to the supermarket, go to the grocery store and you just pick up some beef and throw it in the cart. Mm-hmm. You have no idea where it came from, who raised it. If it has antibiotics or any of the other things in it, like you, you don't, you just don't know any of that stuff. And then people started caring about it again. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Well, the weirdest one was COVID. So I'm not sure how awesome. it was down here. Yeah. Well, there was a lot of grocery stores that didn't have beef. This episode of the show is brought to you by Indeed. We are driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate is not to search at all. It's to match and match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need this platform, guys. I'm telling you, Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work and use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging candidates so you can connect with those people even faster. And it doesn't just help you hire faster. In fact, 93% of employers agree that Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And look, guys, one of the things that I wish I would have used Indeed for is this matching service. You can search and search and search and search and search all day long, but to actually be presented with quality candidates, like 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 hiring a, a recruiter for you that's presenting people that has actually done the work to vet them and uh, bring quality people in front of you, that work by itself is the fact that it's done by a software instead of like a team of high quality recruiters is is pretty insane. So they leverage over 140 million qualifications and preferences every single day, which is why Indeed's matching engine is the best one that you can use. It's constantly learning from your own preferences. So the more you use it, the better it gets at doing the job for you. Join more than three and a half million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility over at indeed.com slash Travis. Just go to indeed.com slash Travis right now and support this show by saying you heard about Indeed here on the podcast. Indeed.com slash Travis. Terms and conditions apply. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. They didn't, they didn't have me. We, we luckily did not have that problem. I would not have stood for it. <laughs> we would have had to move or something. In yeah. Colorado... <laughs> Well, Montana, it was bad. The, really? the toilet paper issue. Yeah. That was the same thing with beef in a lot of different areas. No kidding. Which was not a beef chain problem. I was going to say, what would happen? It was a supply chain problem. Yeah. Because when you're outside of a metro area, say you're in you know, western Montana, back to our Yellowstone guys, the grocery store in that town likely gets two protein shipments a week from a wholesaler. Well, that's two trucks. Once, just coming once a week for mm-hmm. two trucks. They don't have extra trucks sitting around waiting to dispatch. So if somebody in Western Montana says, I got to have enough free, have enough meat for the next week because we're going into lockdown mm-hmm. and there's 10,000 people in that town, there's not more product coming. 
Yeah. Because the the myth that went around was, oh, nobody could get steak because we shut down beef processing. That's inaccurate. So in the U.S., yeah, it did. It went down about a third. Okay. So in, demand increased by more than that. Yeah, by a lot more. Yeah. But you didn't have extra trucks because those semis, you know, a truck with a trailer behind it. Yeah. Quarter million bucks. Yeah. Give or take. Yeah. They don't just have them sitting around. Right. There's a capital expense there. Mm-hmm. But in general, you know, in the U.S., we harvest around 600,000 cows a week. It's 35 million cows a year. The cat or the hog market is are two hundred million pigs wow. a year, and it's two billion chickens, if I remember correctly. Oh my gosh! So, yeah, we went from six hundred thousand. I think the weekly cutout at the low point during COVID was four hundred forty thousand cows okay. in a week, but you just didn't have a way to move them. Sure, you just don't have more trucking assets. And then when you would get somebody got lucky in Fort Collins, Colorado, and got an extra truck, it was gone immediately. Wow! So this flash buying mindset that messed up the toilet paper market for months did that. And huh. the number of customers that we got at Colorado Craft Beef that are still with us today that said, I just need to know that I can pick up the phone and call somebody if I need beef. Hmm. And some of them stuck around. Some consumers have amnesia. It's just very interesting because Temple Grandin from Colorado State University actually wrote a paper right after COVID. And she said that COVID was a proof that our supply chains are efficient, but fragile. Hmm. The second you start to pull on a string because they are just in time delivery, yeah, bang, 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 everything's landing. Yeah, And that was one of the things, one of the reasons that we put the deal together to acquire the harvest facility hmm. because we are now stemmed stern Control the internal. Yeah. Yeah. We can handle the whole system. We don't rely on another company. Amazing. We secured it. Yeah, that's fantastic. That's yeah. all that vertical integration sometimes is necessary just to deliver a good customer experience, right? Because, mm-hmm. I mean, that's like the biggest thing for you guys is like, we'll ship you a free box because we know it's going to be good and we know you're going to order again. Like you need repeat customers, not just first-time customers. Yeah, and yeah. our retention rates are insane. I assume. The first time somebody lands, I mean, for them to not order within three weeks again yeah. is pretty uncommon. Well, I was going to say, I'm not. I'm, I'll be hesitant the way I, that I say this because I don't want to talk crap about this other company because they sent me a lot of free meat and sure. it was good. Mm-hmm. But even just the difference, I, like I told you, I haven't eaten it yet, but just the difference of unloading that into my freezer and being like, oh my gosh, like this is a steak. Mm-hmm. Like, this is real meat right here. Yeah. You know, and you guys probably know what I'm talking about, but again, not throwing under the bus. But yeah, it was like, it was like, oh, this is like, this and this yeah. is like it was just like oh yeah this is beef well, this isn't like commercialized door, well, doorstep funny. stuff we get a lot of phone calls from people that are like well you know we wanted a custom way we wanted this i'm like listen the beef i'm sending you is the beef i feed my family yeah and we are ranchers yeah you'll be good <laughs> if you are unhappy with what comes you let me know yeah. but i think you'll be okay <laughs> and we have yet to have anybody call after that conversation nice that's awesome so that's awesome What's been the most surprising part for you guys? I'll start with you, Carol. What's been the most surprising part of like running a company like this? Ooh, that's a good one. It's so obstacles and everything. Man. Uh, choose your hard. Yeah. Frankly, I think some of it is mindset hmm. for me. Okay. I never, I never really envisioned this path. Okay. You know, you always, you grow up in production. You think that you're going to do production. Mm-hmm. You're just going to do it better. But then I, I saw a different light, you know, when I started working in corporate world and sales and some of the if the visionary lights went off of like, man, we can do something different. Let's do it. Yeah. You know, but it's always in the back of your mind, like, so, <laughs> so once you get to the point where you've truly proven concept. Yeah. Where there's some actual evidence that it can be done. Yeah. yeah. Wrapping your head around it and That's, being like, man, here we are. That let's, is a difficult time. Yeah. The time between <laughs> having the idea and then like, like everybody talks about their ideas, right? Everybody's got ideas. And that's the stage that most people stay at for like 30 years well, <laughs> they talk to, about the one idea to stay there of course because you start the idea and then it doesn't work out then it's like then you know that it sucked mm-hmm. and you know what i mean you actually have to do real work at that point you can't just talk about how awesome the idea would be but then you start the idea and there's like this phase that happens in between the time that you started and the time that you have some sort of validation that it's actually something that's going to work and that time is like uh especially if you've never done anything like it before you're just kind of like is this going 
this is going to work? Like, I thought gonna, this was a good idea. This. Everybody we, told me it was a good idea. Yes. We may or may not have went through that same iteration like a thousand times yeah, in the last 12 I was months. Say, and then yes. it continues happening yeah. in perpetuity. But the difference is like the next time you have that, you're like, okay, well, it worked out last time. Right. So like the 48th time you do it, you're like, all right, well, this is nothing that we haven't come up against. We just have to figure out a solution to the problem. And that's the difference between people who sit ideas for 30 years and then people who actually take an idea to fruition, start a company, partner with people like Jocko and his bunch and actually like do something about it is like you get the same feeling of uncertainty, the same feeling of insecurity, but you push past it and you figure out a solution to that problem. Then another problem comes up and you're like, all right, well, you know, still not sure this is going to work, but. We figured it out last time, so. Well, we were so we, we were time. on the plane to Maine last week to meet everybody. What was going through your head on the plane? <laughs> Are we really doing this? <laughs> we're we're really doing this. We're on the plane. <laughs> Imposter yeah. syndrome starts oh, exactly. creeping its head in there. Like you don't deserve to be at this meeting. You don't deserve to be hanging out. Only with these people. like three times an hour. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> No, I know exactly what you mean. It's, yeah. Well, it's like, are we going to get off the, we're going to get off the bird in Portland and there's going to be a, ha ha ha, we got you, get back on the plane and go back to Colorado. Yeah, sure. Oh, or it's going to be like, oh, there's 3,000 people at this event. It's just, and I have to pay for it. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's not going to be what what I thought it was going to be. Yeah. That's, it's been a wild ride. Yeah. Especially like the genesis of the holidays within the beef company. Because we do a ton of business around the holidays, corporate gifts and, you know, yeah, all the stuff. Sense. Yeah. Like the first year we packed the Christmas boxes in our kitchen. <laughs> and nice. the second year was in the garage. And the third year was in a new building we built during COVID. And the fourth year was the new building we built during COVID and the walk-in freezer. And now it's like... Walk-in freezer, baby. Yeah. Oh, now That's it's when like, you're stepping in the lap of luxury. Oh, it, <laughs> that's what it felt like. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, the look on Kara's face. The look on Kara's face the first time we loaded that freezer. Yeah. I was like, hey, do you want to look in the freezer? She's like, I don't know. <laughs> don't tell him about that. That was And we fit we fit what, forty? Yeah, about forty five oh. whole steers in the freezer oh, in a box. Wow. Yeah. wow. That's a big so that's, ass walking that freezer. Was, uh, that was a lift. Because uh, before you're doing that, you're just, what, you have a bunch of different standalone freezers or what do you do? Yeah, we had a bunch of chest freezers. Yeah. And we stored some at the harvest facility that we just acquired and go get it in the backseat of the pickup yeah. and move it 20 boxes at a time. And and then it's like, oh, now you got the freezer. Now I'm like, yeah, we need like a reefer trailer. Yeah. It's just the scalability. Everything grows. Right, and, right that's what happens you're building something of actual value right well the good news is we got this guy that we're working with that talks about execution so yeah. i don't i don't think we have is an offer not an option yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, don't, I don't think we get an opportunity to Ownership not execute ex- at this yeah. point so. <laughs> i was gonna say well at least you can slough off your mistakes on other people right he's cool with that yeah ownership's not <laughs> yeah. a big deal either yeah. no, no, not even not even the slightest no. <laughs> and and the rest of the team couldn't be more aligned that's i've been awesome. involved in a bunch of different businesses and it's You've always got that one guy. Sure. You're like, what the hell is he here for? Especially if you've been in corporate sales. Oh, yeah. That's yeah, a nightmare. You've been in corporate. Well, who's Same that boat anchor? <laughs> yeah, right, right. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. You got people, you know, stab each other in the back to get ahead right. and people yeah. kissing butt and spreading rumors. And it's just like, well, I thought we were here to work. Like, yeah. What? Is, what is, I didn't think I'd have to deal with like elementary playground, you know. Oh, that's I was a high school girl. I graduated. Yeah, right. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. I, I remember graduating. Yeah, I'm pretty sure I, I graduated. I left the stuff yes. behind. Yeah. That was that was one of the things Kara and I really worked on with the messaging for the beef company was so many people in direct to consumer or even what I would call small business marketing try to get ahead by standing on the throat of their competitor. Hmm. Yeah. Man, those people are our neighbors. We share fences with them. <laughs> Maybe don't do that. Right. And and that's been probably the most rewarding thing for me is to watch that messaging land. Well, that's the thing that, like, this whole thing's talking about making friends, you know? And the, the bottom line is, like, I don't know if you guys saw this study that came out from Harvard that was evaluated. It was the longest standing study on human happiness that's ever been done. It's like an 80 or 90-year study. They follow these people from the time that they were at Harvard all the way through to now they're in their, like, late 90s, mid to late 90s, the ones that are still alive. And they measured all these different things that they were assuming, you know, they had their the hypotheses at the very beginning of what would lead to happiness and that they had all these ideas of what it was and even stuff like, you know, your nutrition, your cholesterol level or whatever. But they found by far the number one thing that correlates the most to happiness and uh, fulfillment at the end of your life is the quality of the relationships that you have, the closest relationships in your life. And it was one of those things that I read when I was just like, yeah, material success to me does matter. Like Mm -hmm. 
I, I wouldn't be in business if I didn't want to make a lot of money. Like, of course, and I'm totally willing to admit that. And that's part of my desires in life. And I don't think that there's anything wrong with that. In fact, I think there's a lot of things right with that. Mm -hmm. However, if you do it at the expense of relationships and friendships and, you know, being good to people, you, you get to the end of your life and then and that's all you have. And that, that is not a good situation. Sure. You know what I'm saying? So like the, the, the way that you guys are doing it is the right way. It's like, we, there is a version, there's a path to where we can all be living in and thinking in an abundance mindset where we don't have to be this like scarcity, you know, I takes, if I win, that means you lose type of a thing. It's like, no, no, no. We can find a way to all work together. We can all increase a little bit more and we can all like still be friends and even better friends at the end of the day because of it. And that's like, that's the world that I try to operate in is, is, is building relationships with people like that. Sure. Where it's like, let's all be successful together. Just because I'm doing this doesn't mean that you can't be and doesn't just because you're doing that doesn't mean I can't be doing something like this. You know what I mean? So um, the fact that you guys are willing to admit that in a really small industry too, where you probably could get away with like having marketing that targets, you know, certain competitors of yours and, you know, whatever the case may be. But I think you're right about that. I think it would eventually just, you know, it's going to stop and then it's going to turn people against you that don't have to be against you. You know, mm -hmm. like you don't have to make enemies for the sake of making enemies doesn't mean you shouldn't stand up for what you believe in. And you're probably going to naturally make enemies because of the things that you believe in, but it doesn't mean you have to go on purpose, make enemies with other people who you wouldn't be enemies with unless you picked a fight with them to begin with, right. you know, but there's so many people that just decide to do that and it blows my mind. It's very bizarre to me. Yeah. Yeah. I just don't, uh, I don't, I don't get the philosophy. It's like, where does this end? You know, like follow this through to conclusion. What's the best case scenario? Right. You know what I mean? Like best case, case scenario, everybody's still upset. Yeah. <laughs> and worst case scenario is even worse than that. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like either way, it's not going to end up good for you. You know, if you have any desire to be in this industry for any length of time. Mm -hmm. you know I mean? Well, and one of the things we've shared and Kara and I both coached our competitors, literal direct beef competitors mm. out of Tampa, out of Texas. People will call. I talked to a guy this week from Kansas. Hey, I'm thinking about going direct to consumer. What can you help me with? Mm. Because for years we have shared on podcasts. If you want some help, let us know. Mm. Like not, not because we know it all, that's certainly not the case, but we learned a fair amount by getting beat up in the marketplace. And luckily we were able to weather that storm right. and, you know, not in a competitive way against the big four. Um, that's a fun data point is 85% of the beef chain is owned by four companies. Wow. So it's really us against them. Sure. Yeah. Which is a hard line to draw, but. If you, you know, we kill or we harvest 35 million cattle annually, 15% of the market is open for direct to consumer like us. Hmm. That's 5 million annually. That's a pretty big number. Right. Still. Yeah. I'm not going to get a percentage of that. Yeah. Neither are the 10 people we know that do the same thing. Right. Why are we not all helping each other? Well, and to me, if you follow the line through the conclusion for you guys in that specific industry in 50 years from now, it'll probably be the opposite of that. Or mm -hmm. 85% is direct to consumer. Yeah. You know, because like the model makes so much more sense. Mm -hmm. Like there's leaves more margin for the people that are actually in the business. You can source your your food from the source that you want to get it from, mm -hmm. which matters to people now and it used to not, right? Like there's so many additional reasons to get it done that way. But auto ships to your house, it's easier that way. You don't have to go to the grocery store. You don't have to find out all these different things about the beef that you're buying and if it where it came from. Like it just makes so much more sense that I feel like, you know, once people get over the like stigma or the thought of like, yeah, but it's meat. You know what I mean? It's just like people have this like yeah. weird thing. But like once people get over that, it's I feel like the market's gonna just go whoop. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Most people are just gonna have it delivered to their house because why not? Yeah. Yeah. The convenience, the simplicity of it, the yeah. auto renew. And I can't remember the last time I was actually in a grocery store. Yeah. We do, the, we do the pickup. Sure. Don't even go inside. Yeah. yeah. I have two small kids. So I'm yeah. Interest that ability. But. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> as do we. Yeah. Exactly. We just do it with Instacart mm. or whatever. You know. Oh, they deliver it here. Yeah. We have to drive. Yeah, That's we, fair. We still need to yeah. drive. But. That's fair. <laughs> it's only 30 miles. It's yeah. no big deal. Just deliver it. You know what I mean? Just get some deliverers out there. I think, I think where we live, they'd have to use a wagon or something. Yeah. It'd be no good. <laughs> It'd be like $300 extra on a grocery bill. <laughs> It'd take two just days. Just for gas. Yeah. <laughs> so. Well, what are you guys working on now? What's, what's got you excited these days? Well, man, the deal closed two weeks ago. 
Wow, congrats. So, That's very recent. Oh, yes. <laughs> very recent. That's where we're working, for sure. <laughs> so my, my hair's not smoking anymore, but it's still a little warm. You know, we're dialing in a lot of the operational stuff and making sure everything's tightened up. And, and I mean, Kara's going nuts on the meat science side to make sure our quality is always perfect. And yeah. I don't know if you want to touch on that with Travis's box of beef and why his is going to be awesome. Yeah, please do. Kara's uh, the meat scientist. I'm the chucklehead that talks too much. <laughs> well, and I wouldn't even, definitely not a proclaimed meat scientist, but I, I know quite a bit about, like, if you want to do jujitsu speak of, like, the ranching world and kind of how the meat got in the box, I'm probably a solid, like, brown belt, maybe. Okay. Yeah, of all the things. But there's many people that are black belts and they're individual pieces of this. Sure, so, sure. But from just a meat science perspective, like there's once again, a lot of things that the common consumer doesn't really know about mm -hmm. beef in general, like how, how cattle are produced and how they're fed and you know, how old they are and how, how much difference it makes from a harvest perspective, all of the different quality control things we put into place mm -hmm. to make sure that meat is the highest quality that it can be. Yeah. And those are things that just really aren't thought about. And frankly, we do. We think about all those things. So are there any like, I, I guess, misconceptions about like what you guys do, the industry as a whole that, that you've seen a bunch of, you know, I guess, marketing pieces around that you're like, that's just not true. I'd say in general, you know, if you want to talk about maybe more activists, just the, the common thought process that if we are producing cattle to produce steak, that we don't care about them. And hmm. That is so far afield yeah, yeah um we we deeply care it's basically we're giving the them the highest quality life we can yeah with knowing that they're going to sustain our lives yeah. and that's something that i don't take for granted sure. i never have yeah, i mean even as a kid i mean frankly i am an animal lover through yeah. through ask jeff if, if i could collect more i i would but we kind of have a cap on that <laughs> on how many you know we can collect and our children are the same way so I, I love these animals so much that I want to do everything that I can to make sure they have the highest quality of life possible. Yeah. But I also know that that life has to end so ours can sustain. Mm -hmm. And I take that very seriously. Yeah. And I'd say, you know, to the consuming public, ranchers across the country do as well. Yeah. yeah. They, they share in that sentiment. And that's something that's like seems to be lost. You know, the fact that we're producing animals for food. Yeah. Th there's just some nuances that are lost in that. The sure. fact that we really genuinely care so much that we go above and beyond to make sure all those things are right for those animals and their quality of life. Yeah. So we can continue our quality of life. Sure. So. Does it matter? I know all these kind of buzz terms, people like slap on labels, which ones matter, which ones don't matter, like, you know, grass fed or USDA choice or like what things should you actually like care about versus what things you're just like, ah, oh, that's just marketing. They slap that on there just to make me think it's better. I'd say it's it's what matters to you. Okay. You know, if if quality, high quality beef matters, you know, look for a USDA choice label okay. to know that, you know, your choice for higher USDA prime. Okay. You know that 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 has met quality specs. So it has to meet all of the different details. Quality in terms of how it's raised or quality of the product. Okay. So basically that is indicative of the internal marbling. So the fat that's inside that product, okay. that's what that is. That choice label, choice prime select, okay. all of those is indicative of the internal marbling and, and those are the product choices like third prime is like, so the, basically the top, the highest quality would be prime. Okay. You have Wagyu that they're graded that they have their own different scale so you have the wagyu scale you have prime you have choice and then you have select Got it. and the caveat of that is that's all fed beef so that's cattle that are under 30 months of age okay so there's there's a little kind of a kicker in that of they're the only ones that technically can be graded like that okay under the label the usda label and what is the wagyu it's like, so you've probably seen like Wagyu A5. Oh, I've eaten and enjoyed a lot of it, but Absolutely. I'm curious on what makes it that it's, much better. It's breed specific. So any of the, most of the American Wagyu, it's a cross of Wagyu cattle, which is a breed of cattle that came out of Japan, okay. that they have the genetics that will allow them to marble that much higher hmm. than the breeds that we have here. But most of any American Wagyu typically is a cross of an Angus and Wagyu. Interesting. But that allows basically that that level of marbling that's above and beyond 
what makes it so damn good. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes. Yeah. It's the fat, frankly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Forever. So. Yeah. All day. Yeah. Yeah. So if it comes down to it, are you picking a ribeye or a filet? I'm ribeye all day. Ribeye cap. If I could just cut all the ribeye caps off, I, mm. would, I would do that. See, and I'm more selective about where we're at. Mm. That's a fair, you know, that's a very fair that's point. True. Yeah. Because, uh, yeah, there's some restaurants that I go to that I'm like, their filet is just, it's too good for me to turn it down. Yeah. But I'm most, I mostly enjoy ribeye. Yeah. Like a bone in, a good bone in ribeye mm-hmm. from somewhere, or like a, a tomahawk from somewhere. I might sure. dig into one of those because I do like that fat on, on the, like right around the bone. Oh, so, yeah. It's perfect. Oh, man. Yeah. I'm a little more selective about where we're at and how they prepare food. Okay. Because some of the best ribeyes we'll have are at our house. That's fair. So, what, okay, who cooks? Who cooks the? You, you, you're the you're yeah, the cook. I, okay. I do all the. I wouldn't say all the cooking. Okay. Kara cooked the other day, and she's wearing a bandaid. <laughs> I, I had to tell her three-year-old daughter. She's like, "Mommy, what happened to your hand?" I'm like, "Sweetie, mommy cooked." That's <laughs> yeah. what happened. That's I why daddy to use a spatula. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, the pan burnt me. <laughs> yeah. What about your dad? Your dad? My my dad. Yeah, he mans the grill. I mean, that's. Well, yep, yeah, my dad is. I'm gonna invite myself to a Colorado cookout. Here you're all, if you give us enough time, we have a fun event we've done for five or six different groups now that we call Steak School. Okay. And we get a ribeye, a New York, a tenderloin, and a sirloin off the same animal. And we walk through it like a wine tasting. This is the flavor of the steak. This is where it sits on the animal. This is why it eats this way. Bro, name the day. <laughs> and I will bring a group of people there you go. that watch and listen to this episode, and we will come out there. There you go. And I'm not I'm not joking. I will be there, bro. Yeah. That's my shit right there. Yeah. It's a, it's a great time. The interesting thing for me has been the... The number of consumers that air quotes know stuff mm. because Twitter told them. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I can't imagine a more frustrating group to deal with when you have, when you guys have the backgrounds that you have. Yeah. That's well, gotta be. I, somebody just a couple weeks ago was like, I've researched this a lot. <laughs> and they said it three times and I don't want to get into what they were talking about, but I'm like, Kara has tw- 10 years of education right. and 10 years in the industry. Right. What and five possibly, generations of knowledge yeah. passed down to her through yeah. her father. And I mean, what possibly makes you think like, I'm not going to yeah. go to a cabinet maker and be like, bro, I got a circular saw. Yeah. I could totally make that. I've read a total of seven articles <laughs> in yeah. the last week. So yeah. And, and that's probably the coolest part about what we've been able to do as a company is take Kara's scientific understanding yeah. of cattle, the feeding process, meat in a package to go to a consumer and craft that entire process. Mm. I mean, a craftsmanship that she has imparted upon our entire system has been outstanding. Yeah. And that's what's fun for us. Sure. So kind of my caveat to the, you know, USDA prime USDA choice, if you're buying at a traditional grocery store, those labels matter a lot Okay. because that prime has more internal fat than than a choice. Than a choice. But if you're buying from us, we don't pay to grade our cattle because we hang the cattle for 21 days as a whole carcass and we dry age the whole animal before we break them into steaks. So that grade is no longer as critical. Hmm. Because if you buy commercial steak at a grocery store, which by the way, that's safe, no big deal, it's all inspected, mm-hmm. that those cattle to go through those big processing plants if they're there more than three days before they're gone in a box, it's an operational failure. So you haven't had the aging time. So you need it to be prime so that it's more naturally tender. Gotcha. With our internal processes, we can age for 21 days. So now that label's not as critical. Yeah, the designation just doesn't doesn't uh, matter quite as much. Exactly. It kind of washes it out. Sure, sure. To that point, our cost of harvest and processing is higher because we're at a much smaller scale. Sure. So my typical statement to people about what labels matter, what don't, and if you're just reading the labels at the grocery store, understand that every one of those costs a lot of money. That's a marketing game. I'm not saying we couldn't do that, but for us to claim a certain labels could be upwards of three or 5,000 a year per label. Yeah. So if those labels matter, maybe don't follow the labels so much. Find a local producer. Doesn't have to be us. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you're in Vegas. Yeah. There's a ton of people in California that make great product. Mm-hmm. Arizona is a big cattle feeding center. You can do a lot of different things. But if those labels and those practices of raising cattle and how they're harvested and all those things matter, yeah, vote with your dollar and make sure you know where that dollar is going. 
that's really what I try to talk to people about is, yeah, yeah, man, we can read all the labels we want. Sure. We've, and we've seen mislabeling, not in beef, but just in food oh, and manufacturing. Yeah, they're and all, it's like non-GMO. It's like, gluten yeah, water. like everything is. Yeah. Gluten-free water. Yeah. No, it's, a, it's a great example. It's just like, hundred. Hey, yeah, no yeah. shit. Yeah. <laughs> like, Thanks for telling me. That was never a risk. Yeah. Right. Okay. Yeah. Like, gluten-free oranges. Sweet. They don't grow wheat in Florida, yeah. right? Um, so it's one of those things that if all we're going to do is read the labels, you can't really dial down what people are after. Yes. But most of the consumers I've found that really want to track the labels would be better served to go direct okay. to anybody, to yeah. any number of other producers. We actually had a gentleman who works at a hospital down in Colorado Springs, reached out to us, and his we talked for probably 40 minutes. I was driving down the freeway. And he goes, uh, well, why should I switch to you? I have a farmer down here I like. I was like, you absolutely shouldn't. Yeah. I was like, why not? I said, I'm not here to poach people. Right. If you got a good guy that's more local to you that does great, stick with him by all means. Yeah. I'm not here to take customers. And he's he buys a box about every six months. <laughs> great guy. Mm -hmm. But it's that, you know, communal mentality. Sure. It's trying to drive the bus forward for everybody. Well, that's what happens when you're mission driven rather than profits driven. Like, yeah, of course you want to make money. It's a business. Mm -hmm. And like, we can all agree on that. The light bill I mean, does not pay itself. Yeah, right. Yeah. Exactly. But when you're more mission oriented, those are the kind of things that you can say. And in my opinion, always makes you more powerful salesperson anyway. When you, when you don't come with that, like, you know, desperation, you don't reek of desperation when you're trying to get people to, you know, enjoy your product. And I think most people can sniff that out anyway. I was listening to some people talk at the gym the other day. They were standing next to me. I used to sell a bunch of different stuff. I used to be in door to door sales for five or six years. And solar was one of the products that I sold. And these two guys were arguing and they're both selling from different companies. And it was just like, they were saying different things. And I was like, you guys are saying the same things. You're just like arguing about it because you have the same, you basically have the same product, but you've convinced yourself that yours is better than that one. And he's convinced himself that his is better than yours. It's just like, you're talking about the same thing. And ultimately the customer is going to get the same experience from both of you guys because you're selling the same thing all the time, but you're trying to tell yourself that you're not because it makes it easier for you to sell it in your mind. When in reality, if you're just like, yeah, sure, go with them. Mm -hmm. You know, it might actually make that person be like, oh, okay, well, I kind of like you better. <laughs> you know yeah. I mean? Yeah. So. There's a lot of people in the sales game that want to win so much. Right. They won't lose a battle to win the war. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And that, that strategic. Yep. Uh, they burn and turn, man. Oh yeah. And it doesn't, and, and they'll be gone, man. The only thing you see is taillights. Yep. It's the taillight warranty, yeah. right? That's the right. contractor rules. <laughs> so it's just interesting when you get people that don't see that bigger picture, mm -hmm. but Man, what it's done for us, aside from our outstanding partners, even more important is our team. Mm. You know, some of the people that we have that are helping us because we can't do it all. Mm -hmm. People yeah. are working today and we're just hanging out with you. <laughs> and you're, you're working, though. Yeah. <laughs> so am I. <laughs> and, the, and the loyalty it buys when they see you hold that line. Yeah. 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 You know, whether it's your partners or your people or your kids, man, yeah. be that guy. Yeah. Be that guy every day. Good things should happen. Where should people go to learn more about you guys and Colorado Craft Beef and everything you got going on? Where should we send people? Yeah, coloradocraftbeef.com is always a good way. We have some new products that are already in development that are going to be rolling out for Q4. Cool. I got some new merch coming. We've got a lot of different things in the hopper. Sweet. Probably going to do We have some... a trip coming. Yeah, we have, we have <laughs> this cool. guy from Vegas bringing a busload <laughs> of people to the ranch. What I would recommend, if you go to the website, we'll have a newsletter feed pop up. Okay. Sign up for that newsletter. There's going to, we're doing a big giveaway in the next couple of weeks for a well into the four figures grill that we're partnering with another company. Great. The moving parts right now is unbelievable. So I hate What's to, the best grill? It depends on what you're cooking it with. Okay. I mean, I have a Traeger. Is Traeger that good? Traeger's okay. Okay. For where you live, it's all, it's outstanding because you okay. don't get it cold. Uh, we use True. a Gorilla grill. Um, Gorilla. They're made in Mich in Michigan. They're double insulated. So uh, okay. when the wind's blowing 40 miles an hour, it doesn't yeah, that matter. It does matter. Yeah. We've got some good friends that love the big green egg when you want the charcoal. Mm. We, we so. cooked a couple turkeys on one of those. And I got to say that turkey meat was real moist and tender. Yeah. As much as I hate using the word moist. It, it's just, I don't know how else to describe it. We went a whole it wasn't hour dry. and you didn't even talk about it. I know. <laughs> But yeah, man, just hooked on all Instagram. Yeah. We're hooked up everywhere. 
Cool. Except for TikTok. I've, I've posted, yeah. And I put one video on TikTok. So we're officially on TikTok. Yes. That was like eight months ago. Yeah. Well, the cool <laughs> thing about TikTok is that you can just take everything you were going to post on Instagram reels and Facebook reels and just throw it on TikTok too. One you of know. these days. Yeah. yeah just <laughs> been, add it to your list of to do. It's been not busy. like you have anything to do. No, I, I, got, <laughs> I got people I got to deal with, right? But hey, man, thank you so much for oh, having us. It was a lot of fun. Thank I, you. I genuinely enjoy the conversation. I appreciate you guys uh, making it out while you're in Vegas. I will definitely uh, be cooking up some of that meat this weekend. Let you know how it goes. I'm not the best cook, but I've gotten better over the years um, when it comes to beef and things like that. Anyway, anything else? I don't. I don't, I don't know what I'm. So doing, if but. you go to our YouTube channel, last plug, there are steak school videos on our YouTube oh. channel that break down every cut Perfect. and how to cook it. That's the best place. You know what? Scratch everything we just said. Go to their YouTube channel, Colorado <laughs> Craft Beef. Yeah. Right? And go learn how to cook some steak. And then if, you know, eventually you're just going to want to try theirs anyway. So go check out some of the stuff they got going on. I'm sure you'll be hearing this name a lot more often after you just inked this deal with Jocko and his partners a couple of weeks ago. So I'm sure you'll be hearing about Colorado Craft Beef a lot more. Guys, thanks so much for doing this. It was a lot of fun. Appreciate it. Thank you. That's it for today's episode. Thanks for spending some time with me and my friends. If you want to be better friends with me, then head over to travischapel.com slash team to subscribe to my free newsletter, Your Friend Travis, where I share what's on my mind about life, building a business, raising kids, being married, and anything else I would normally share with my close circle of friends. That's travischapel.com slash team. And my biggest ask of you since I'm sharing my friends with you is to share this episode with a friend of yours that hasn't listened to the show yet Then leave us a quick five-star rating in Apple Podcasts and in Spotify. It would mean the world to us as it helps us make sure that this show continues to be more valuable to you. Thanks in advance, and I'll catch you on the next episode. Get ahead of postage rate increases this year with Stamps.com. It's like your own personal post office. Sign up with promo code PROGRAM for a four-week trial plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com code PROGRAM.